Welcome to the Green Majority. Uh, sorry once again for my poor audio quality, but uh, this is a great member to sign up and be a Green Majority member. We're currently looking to uh, improve the show in a variety of ways and hopefully make the show more accessible. I won't, uh, I won't give you the details just yet, but changes are coming that should uh, greatly in intangible ways improve the show. Uh, if you're excited about that, you love what we've already been doing and would like to help us get to this new and improved version of the show sooner, you can sign up and be a Green Majority member today. You can do that at Patreon, which is P-A-T- R-E-O-N dot com slash Green Majority. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority, broadcasting live right now out of CIUT 89.5 FM. Or you could possibly be listening on one of our very appreciated community radio partners all the way across the country now into the United States as well, or one of our international podcast listeners. Uh, those listeners also get benefit of, of a bonus show. And today, for once, I actually have the bonus show planned. We're going to be talking Ooh. about journalism, but I'll tease that more a little bit later in the show. Coming up in the middle of the show, in between two squished news sections like the uh, creamy filling in an Oreo cookie. Gotta love that. Yeah, I, I'm hungry. Just do <laughs> uh, is the uh, is an interview actually that uh, I'm I'm happy to say uh, uh, reached out to us, and I'm happy to say that because uh, it's cool that people know we exist. Yeah. Uh, so we were we <laughs> just were generally actually, speaking. Yeah, <laughs> that's always fun. Uh, so we we were actually contacted and, and asked, would we like to to interview Dr. Hugh Seeley? And I gave an emphatic yes, a very enthusiastic yes, because we're winning. Yes, with that strategy. Uh, he's the lead negotiator or was the lead negotiator for small island states. So these are countries that are most at risk from sea level rise and catastrophic weather patterns. And he was recently participating in COP20 in Morocco. He is going to be speaking to us today. Uh, we didn't actually plan out a specific topic aside from the fact that it would just be really interesting to talk to him. Um, but I feel like all of the oxygen has been sucked out of the room and we're probably going to have to talk about Trump whether we wanted to or not. Uh, I am, however, going to give uh, Dr. Seeley a chance to, uh, to talk about something else if he would like. And we will hear from him in the middle of the program. Later on in the program, I'm going to be covering more of a national focus. We're going to talk a little bit about KXL. We're going to talk about uh, Trump re notely and, uh, and uh, Trudeau. Uh, there was also some oil spills and some other fantastic news as well going along with that. So we'll leave that for later. This is fantastic program. news. I, do I have to say that I'm just assume that I'm being sarcastic at this point? That's a good point. I should, I should probably point that out in case this is a first time listener. Yeah, yeah, We're yeah. incredibly sarcastic on this show. I would really appreciate if someone got on the show and was like, this be, these people are pro oil spills. All right, that's an interesting take. It's a it's a hot take, Darren. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's always oil spills everywhere. That is true. Uh, so, uh, with that though, let's let's not suck. Uh, speaking of sucking oxygen out of the room, let let me not suck Stefan's oxygen out of the room. And would you please take it away with our uh, international focus, Stefan? Sure thing. Um, so yeah, so inter by international focus, uh, as far as 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 far as why as far and wide as that goes this week, uh, it's it's pretty Trump focused. And by that, I mean entirely Trump-focused. So I hope we're all okay with that. Um, mainly because this is the first of a likely 
208-part series uh, called Resisting Trump. Uh, now, of course, that presumes he doesn't get impeached, which is, I think, at this point, probably a toss-up, to be honest. Uh, but so what, basically what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to give a quick rundown of the things he's done this week. Uh, because one of the, one of the uh, suggestions we received last week of ways to successfully resist Trump was actually to create a list. Uh, and to write down and to note all of the things that have happened. So, so in future, uh, we remember what is going on. Um, so this is, this is where we're at now. Uh, so this is this, after week one, this is where we've gotten, at least from the environmental standpoint. I have a little bit of other news, but it's mostly the environment because uh, obviously the show. So first thing he did was freeze all regulations, uh, which basically means that if you want to have a new regulation come in, you must um, – you, you must you, you must find some way to to convince uh, the Trump brand with anyone with either either someone who works directly for him or appointed by him or the the president uh, himself uh, that your regulation is necessary. So that doesn't mean that they won't keep enforcing the current ones, but that no new regulations can come in. Even uh, again, it's not fully clear because again, it's it's one of those things. Where executive orders are interesting because like they're being reported as if things have actually happened when it's more like it's sort of more similar to. Like sometimes president orders can have direct impacts, but more often not, they're telling another part of the of the government to do something. Um, and at this point, Trump is telling a lot of parts of government which don't actually have anyone leading them because he hasn't appointed half the the government right now. Um, yeah, and uh, I two two and a, about two and a half years ago, Steph and I did a uh, very recently after we met, I did a uh, uh, we were at a conference and I did a little workshop called How to Read the News. I feel like we're going to have to reinvent that. So uh, I don't know that this is the official or, or ongoing definition, but uh, there, I feel like today's 2017 definitions have to be established, which is that a journalist is someone who investigates things and and verifies facts and looks up for other angles and, and fully explores the story. Uh, something we aspire to be here on this program. A reporter going forward is someone who literally just regurgitates what somebody says. And so I want I want people to go out there, no matter where you're reading from, if the only lines in the article are uh, Trump administration says this, Trudeau administration says that, whatever, so-and-so says this, and it's just a bunch of says, 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 you have to have the immediate instinct, regardless of what the outcome is, that you are not getting the whole story. That doesn't mean they're lying. That doesn't mean this. That doesn't mean anything. But just understand that the, you are not getting the whole story if that's the co- entire content of the article. Well, and I think to jump off on that as well, I think there has to be a distinction, and it's very difficult to make this distinction because we don't, because not we don't all have the time. Like we we all have lives that, that exist outside of outside of trying to pay attention to this. Uh, the difference between Trump has said something and Trump is doing something. Because uh, those are wildly different half the time, and then often it's he'll says he'll do something, which then gets even more confusing. Um, you know, there's like three or four things that I that when doing the story I had heard about, and then I had to sort of do for the research to figure out if he, like has he actually done this? What does this actually mean? Uh, you know, for like he he froze all federal hiring, uh, which is but then again I was like okay that's interesting, uh, but then you know and then three heads of uh, three pretty high up in, in security department all left at the same time yesterday on mass as like a protest basically and i was like does that mean he they can't fill those because he's and like there's so much nuance in each one of these things especially as he is saying different things uh that it is diff- it, you would definitely want to dis- you definitely want to discern what he has said from what he has done right. uh and and i would recommend only paying attention to what he's done 
And usually the problem with with politicians is that, you know, the the average member of the public doesn't understand the nuance. And so the the politician who does, because they're career politicians, uses that misunderstanding to frequently, you know, misinform people. I mean, uh, nothing is more obvious on that than the Obamacare, right? We have to cancel Obamacare. Wait, we're actually going to do it. Maybe that's actually a really bad idea. Yeah. Um, But the problem is, is that Trump also doesn't know and he's in charge. That's that's a major difference in case anyone's just saying, well, this is just new administration. You know, you don't like them, blah, blah, blah. The losing side always gets upset. Mm -hmm. No. This yeah. person is a maniac. Well, and, 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 and what's also funny about this is a, is a shout out to the preceding show to us, Democracy Now. Uh, I, there was a very short clip on this uh, from a couple, I'm going to say a couple weeks ago, but it might have been early this week, uh, where, where Trump was pointing out uh, Rex Tillerson in the crowd. And, 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 and the way he described Rex Tillerson to this crowd was that Tillerson went into countries, took all their oil, and then left to another country. And then it was like, way to go, and started applauding him. And you're like, yes, I agree with you that that's what he does. My just in my reaction to doing that is just the opposite reaction than you're currently having. And then the idea that like, that's the guy who should be running our Secretary of State. Anyways, more things. Those things he said, not things he done. More things he actually did. Uh, another executive order uh, encouraged KXL and Dakota's access pipeline to be built. Now, again, this actually hasn't done anything yet. Uh, you can you can encourage them both to be built, uh, but TransCanada would still need to actually resubmit their application, uh, and f- for KXL and the U.S. Army Corps would st- of Engineers still has to finish their review uh, of the Dakota access pipeline. So basically, he was like, "These things should happen, and if you know if they review, I want the sec- sec- I want the, st- the Secretary of State, the State Department." Uh, uh, to say to to decide in sixty days. So basically, he's like, if you do the things, I want this to happen as fast as possible. But it has nothing started moving yet. Um, he also, and I love this term, "quote unquote" expedites environmental reviews, uh, which basically means he's given a directive that all large infrastructure projects should have you know, worse and faster environmental reviews. Again, nothing has actually happened because they have to rewrite these laws, but this is another directive that he is, that he has put out. Uh, yeah, he's also, he, he's also, he's, 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 as a part of his instituting his federal hiring freeze, uh, he also demanded 5,000 5, new border officials be hired and 10,000 new immigration officials be hired. So this is one of those things where he's sort of like, being, look, small government, except for the security, which is, you know, terrifying um and 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 this is this one i added actually this is the last this is the last one of the, the quick notes because there's more but i'm just sort of going around highlights i added this one not because it's necessarily directly related to the environment but because it was one of those very small things and i think you can sort of see the i think when you try to understand a big government like this it's often in the minutiae where they tip their hand a little bit or or, or where you or where or end up being examples of where they're going and so one thing, they, one thing he, he ordered to happen was he wanted to create a list updated weekly of crimes committed by undocumented immigrants in, sanct- in sanctuary jurisdictions and in, in sanctuary jurisdictions, which basically he plans on you like this clearly sets out an agenda to massively attack uh, immigrant immigrants. Um, and a couple of uh, a couple of his other moves and his state moves, his plan moves, uh, are, would, would further those sort of those sort of difficulties. Um, you know, he made a list of countries in which that he wants to like to to temporarily freeze immigration from temporary quote unquote, um, which were you know predominantly Muslim countries. Uh, and this is, I think, all of this together, I think, sort of gives you a decent sense of of where this administration is heading. Uh, and again, what's interesting, uh, what's interesting about this is that. 
It's every single place he said he was going to do. This is not like there's not a situation of someone coming in saying they're going to be all nice and fuzzy and then doing these things. This is this is him coming in and saying, "I am going to be a fascist," and then just doing it. And yeah. everyone's like, "Oh, how did that happen?" Well, and it's and that's really important because I mean, if you were, I spent quite a bit of time during the election watching interviews. A lot of independent journalists were doing. None of the mainstream journalists were doing. They were too busy talking about stupid tweets, but. Actual journalists uh, were going down and, and actually interviewing Trump supporters, and many of them—I mean, many of them—do support these sorts of fascist things. So, I mean, that's the thing. But they're not they're, Trump supporters are not all one flavor, right? They come in a variety of flavors, and many of them were like, "Well, you know, I want the job stuff," and I really, you know, there are people that potentially would have voted for Hillary Clinton. Many of them said they absolutely would have preferred Bernie Sanders to both. But what's really important is that is they say, "But look, we don't really believe he's going to do any of that stuff. Like he's just blowing, you know, hot air." But no, no, he's doing it. Yeah, and he's doing it immediately. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's. <laughs> And I think that's the that's the piece that I want to I want to get to, um, which is this uh, this piece of all of his moves or m- almost all of his moves right now uh, have been working to consolidate w- will will work to consolidate power uh, and uh, and further increase inequality um, and I think these two pieces of uh, uh, and everything he's done so far is leading to that, right? He's trying to even even some of the stuff he's written on the actual website, which you can go and read about the people he's trying to protect and not to be like he like he has pieces about who he's do- he doesn't actually think protesters deserve protections. He actually wants to protect the you know the mom going out and sun on a Sunday. Like it's it's so transparent the the world he is trying to set up and uh, in, in the America he's trying to set up. Well, federal char- uh, felony charges got laid against journalists. Yes. Yeah, Covering the protest, journalists who were covering the protest in yeah. no way, and no one's even claiming that they were part of the. They're just no, nope, yeah, uh, felony charges. Yeah, exactly. And and this is and this is like all of this is part of intimidation process to, to to ensure that you know that sit that that protests won't get covered well, um, and and that as as as, you, as these things grow, these are the other pieces that we're going to be start seeing. This is a great time to to pr- uh, to further promote though that the bonus show topic is is covering an article called "Dear Media: uh, The Trump What Trump White House Has Total Contempt for You." Time to react react accordingly. That is the article <laughs> we'll be talking about in the bonus show. And that is, and he's already shown that. Just un, unquestionably already shown that. Um, we also, very much that we pointed out that uh, uh, we, we just got tweeted at uh, by a regular contributor about how Trump's most recent uh, federal disclosure forms filed in May show that he owns 15,000 to 50,000 in stock of the Texas-based Energy Transfer Partners, uh, which is the which is one of the organizations behind uh, DAPL. So, which is, I think that I think. Uh, it, like it's like it's at this point every one of Trump's conflicts of interests uh, are, uh, are 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 just he's so many of them that like I think I think it's an onion joke uh, about how there were so many of them that uh, he couldn't just pick one and so he'd have to be fair. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, well, he's got so many conflicts. Of interest, what can he do? Um, but to get to the the final point of this entire sort of a, it's just important to note what's happening and where we stand in the world right now. Uh, but B as a bit of a call out. I think what – if there's anything that I've been sort of experiencing uh, over the past uh, little while, trying to figure out how – what the rea- what the, what, what the resistance to Trump looks like. I think that's the question everyone is asking themselves. And I think the, the first thing that we have to understand is it – Everyone has to stand up for everyone else's issues. You know, if you're an environmentalist and you aren't going to the, you know, to the to the the the, the immigration reform uh, the, the protests, or if you're not going to, you know, if you're not go- if you're not standing up uh, as as environmentalist for 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 your Muslim brothers and sisters, or uh, for you know the the workers' rights clampdown, or for journalists, or for scientists, or anything like that, you you are being an ineffectual 
uh, environmentalist. Uh, there's not going to be the environmentalists are not going to fight this battle and win this battle by themselves. And if you refuse to be, you know, intersectional is usually used in a term of uh, within people. But I think if your issue intersectionality uh, is going to be as important, if not more important, uh, in this fight, because you know, fifty five fifty five percent of the American population can maybe stop something. Uh, but if you if you only show up for your own issue, you're going to you're going to be washed out. Because yeah. if he can divide each one of you, he can win. And also when it comes to environmentalism and all of these other issues, they're so interlinked that if you are an environmentalist, then you probably support in one way or another all of those other causes like science, for example. Yeah. Like you need science-based uh, Things to have so that you can have a voice well, as an and, environmentalist. And I think to, to should to, also should also point out the disembodied voice because we didn't introduce her because <laughs> uh, she snuck in. That's Sabina, by the way. Yes, um, and I think to, to, uh, as well if you are if you believe in climate change is, is happening and climate change is worsening weather patterns around the world, and then refuse to accept the 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 the, the, the migrants who need to, li- to who can't live where they're living because of climate change, then you're not. Then I don't know if you really actually care for humanity. Like, if you accept all the other stands, but you're like, yes, I understand that we over here release enough carbon to make your life impossible where you're living, but I will not give you a better option. That's that's Trumpism at its worst to some extent. Yeah, and I think yeah, I mean that the that's really the big takeaway that I think everybody needs to get on their game. And 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 it, one of the things that really jumped out at me from that, I, I have a clip. I don't think we'll get to it just because there's so much here. I, I may end up playing it in the Bonus Show, but there's a. We recently got permission from the Young Turks, which if you don't know who they are, uh, are they are the lar- largest online news show in the world, and they've cur- people who are involved with the Young Turks have currently started the Justice Democrats, which is a uh, essentially the Bernie wing of the Democratic Party taking over the Democratic Party uh, entirely, with a basically saying we're going to primary anyone who doesn't refuse for going forward to not take corporate money at all, zero. Um, so that's anyway. It's a developing story but they're they're huge they're they they regularly beat cnn and fox news for ratings if you compare their views to eyeballs on tvs they're not um some some sort of like basement uh you know a bunch of people with five people listening this is a massive independent news organization the largest in the world uh and uh, they had a a clip we're talking about um the march uh and the experience because many of their people uh went down to the women's march the next day and so i have a little clip of them discussing that we may play that in the bonus show but the 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 thing is one of the signs that you'll see as the thing going around yes there was a lot of solidarity but there was also you know uh, a number of uh, photographs that i saw of, of african-american women with signs saying i hope you all show up to the all you nice white women who are going to show up to the next black lives matter protest and there's, there's a little bit of that's a little bit of a bite there and some people may object to that i think they're all universally wrong uh, but it's because it's the most amazing point ever which is that if you only show up for the thing that you feel concerns you we've already lost Right. So it doesn't matter. I mean, even if it's not something that terribly concerns you, if they're allies and they're joining you in your fight, you have to join them in theirs. This is this is literally the people. This is essentially, you know, there's some there's some scattering on both sides. There are some young people who are going, you know, in the Trump direction. There's some older folks who are on our side. But at the end of the day, I mean, this really breaks down to essentially the entire new generation trying to look to the future and most of the old generation clinging desperately to the past. And that's really what this comes down to. And I'm, I'm sorry to say it. You pick a side. You've got to. There's no. There's no neutrality. There's no Sweden in this, in this, in this situation. Uh, you're either you're either with us or you're with Trump. And and I don't mean that. I don't say that happily. Mm-hmm. I say that as a realist. That's just the way it is. Switzerland is the more neutral country usually. I'm sorry. Yes, thank you, <laughs> Stefan. That's the most important fact check of the day. Yes. Um, Constantly soft checking my my uh, my hot air. Uh, but the uh, if you want uh, just to just to give us uh, something to go off of as a way to keep keep in keep in mind uh, that August, uh, April 29. 
9th, there is a massive march on on, on Washington planned for jobs, justice, and climate. Um, so keep that in mind if you want to start planning ahead and what resistance looks like i think to some extent you know you can take to the tweets but it's more effective to take to the streets there you go i thought All that right, right now <laughs> i only had about that let's uh let's go to our first music break we're going to come back and, and talk to dr hugh seeley which is the uh, associate professor of department of public health and preventative medicine at this uh, school of medicine in uh university of granada st george's university in granada who is also one of two uh representatives for latin america and the caribbean uh at uh, international climate change agreements uh, so dr hugh seeley will be speaking to him after the break when we come back but first uh, we're gonna find out what our music break is gonna be all right, and we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, International, as well as our podcast audience who is going to stick around, hopefully, and listen to our bonus show about news. But now we're going to talk to Dr. Hugh Seeley, who is the Associate Professor in Department of Public Health and Preventative Medicine, School of Medicine at St. George's University in Granada, and one of two representatives for Latin America and Caribbean uh, dealing with the uh, clean development mechanism under the UN framework convention on climate change welcome to the program dr hugh seeley uh thank you for having me on thanks so much yes so um i was uh, very interested to uh hear from you originally when uh, when we were contacted about uh, doing this interview uh, to get a, 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 this unique opportunity to uh, hear from you about some of the inner workings and, and where we're sitting sort of from an international perspective. But of course, uh, I don't know if you were listening to, uh, if you had the ability to listen to the beginning of the program, but one of the things we mentioned, of course, was that uh, just just the word Trump appears to have sucked entirely all the oxygen out of the room for any other discussion. Um, so I'm going to attempt to leave that for a moment uh, and ask you my original interest, uh, which okay. was if you could just sort of outline for us uh, as far as from an international perspective and then also from the uh, Latin American and Caribbean perspective, where are we right now as far as uh, international cooperation on climate efforts? Well, we had the Paris Agreement in, in uh, November slash December of, of 2015, and the Paris Agreement was historic. Um, this is the first time that we've gotten all the countries in the world uh, to to say yes that they're going to make some sort of contributions towards mitigating uh, climate change. Uh, we we put down targets of two degrees and one point five degrees, and, that, and the one point five degrees was a was a win for small islands um, because we we find it extremely important um, that we try to limit warming to to less than one point five degrees above. Uh, pre-industrial times rather than two degrees. We also got commitments on the, on on finance uh, that the developed countries would provide at least a hundred billion U.S. dollars per year to developing countries to help them to mitigate uh, climate change and to adapt to climate change. Uh, what was also important for small islands is that we got uh, loss and damage, uh, a mechanism uh, to help us to to deal with those impacts that we cannot adapt to, and, and the, these would be things like, like sea level rise, um, ocean acidification, um, and extreme weather events. Just, just to correct your, your introduction, uh, I am no longer on the CDM Executive Board as a Latin American and Caribbean representative. Mm. Um, I, I, was, I represented the small island developing states on that board for the last four or five years, which are all the islands in the Caribbean, all the islands in the Pacific Ocean, and the Indian Ocean, and I now represent that constituency on what's called the Technical Executive Committee of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. So my 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 main role uh, is to is to negotiate on on behalf of small islands. 
Uh, apologies for that error, Dr. Seeley. Um, so one of the uh, one of the key issues, of course, when we're talking about international cooperation, has been um, that many countries agree in theory on targets. Uh, as far as you mentioned, the one and a half degree ideal and the the sort of two degree. Um, uh, soft or hard limit, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, how, but the the details, uh, one of the sticking points often comes up with, well, who's going to pay for all of this stuff? And and often the complaint of smaller nations is that the rich countries are not doing their part. Uh, how much relative to all of the challenges currently, how much uh, uh, is that making up a component of a sticking point on on further progress? Oh, it, is a, it is a big sticking point. At some point, the developed countries are going to have to put the money where their mouths are. They've been saying since Copenhagen in 2009 uh, that a finance, a significant climate finance is going to be provided to developing countries over and above the official development assistance or the ODA that was that was promised in the in the Monterey consensus several years ago, which, as you probably know, is 0.7 percent of of the gross national income of developed countries is supposed to be transferred to developing countries. And they have not met their promise there either. So it is going to get to a point where the developing countries are going to say, wait a second, we've, we've made our commitments, we've signed on to the Paris Agreement, but we need to see the money for us to, to, to do two things. One, decarbonize our economies, but still achieve sustainable development and, 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 and eliminate poverty and to adapt to the impacts of climate change that are now inevitable. And, and speaking of, uh, of impacts, Dr. Seeley, one of the things we've spoken about on this program repeatedly is that specifically dealing with small island states um, is that this isn't a future concern. This is a very current uh, and ongoing concern. Uh, it, what is the sense of uh, urgency uh, when it comes to the current state uh, as we are today in, in early 2017? And, uh, and how high is the concern uh, for the rate of solving these problems and getting action done in time to actually prevent uh, permanent and irrevocable damage to these states? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like Chicken Little. I'm running around saying the sky is falling, the sky <laughs> is falling. But they, the science is, is clearly saying that we are running out of carbon budget. We're, we're running out of time and that we cannot continue to, to emit the amounts of carbon that we put into the atmosphere. If we have, if we want to have any chance of staying below two degrees of warming, far less 1.5. Now, this is uh, an existential issue for me because I live on a small island. This is not an economic issue that I can push into the future. The, the science is saying that the next decade is, is 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 perhaps the most important decade facing mankind, and that we have to turn around our trajectories now, or else we're going to lock in catastrophic climate change. Now, how do you tell, how do you get uh, your, your populations to recognize that this is an emergency when they don't see it outside, that they, they, they don't see it impacting on them, on them personal, personally? And that's the, the, biggest, the biggest problem that we have. There's a, there's a cognitive disconnect from, 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 this, from this emergency, and, and I'm not sure how we, uh, how we bring that connection through to the ordinary person. 
And and as you were uh, outlining and, and corrected me on the on the intro there, you've had a, a number of roles uh, dealing with international conversations on on this topic. I'm I'm curious. I, I don't know to the to the degree to which you're able to comment, but I'm I'm curious uh, what impressions, if any, uh, you have on the role of Canada as an outsider uh, within these discussions. Uh, you know, we we hear a lot within the media here that uh, there's a lot of heat put on Canada, especially under previous governments, but and that uh, you know Trudeau has completely changed our our image and our conversation. Uh, how does it? How does Canada feel as a as a part of this conversation from your perspective? Well, I've, I've got to make a confession. I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, so you're speaking to a fellow Canadian. And I and I was trained. My, I did my first degree at the, at McGill in Montreal. So so you are speaking to a Canadian who has been terribly frustrated in the past about the Canadian uh, position on climate change, but that um, that did change. Um, with uh, the change in administration that you've uh, you've recently had, and I think that was one of the one of the positive signs uh, leading up uh, to Paris. You had changes in administration both in Canada and in Australia uh, that that brought momentum uh, to the Paris Agreement. Of course, the two big elephants big elephants in the room, <coughs> excuse me, U.S. and China. I think it was, it was imperative that that they came to an agreement. Uh, as well, or else we would not have gotten the the, the, the Paris Agreement signed. Uh, the role that Canada plays now um, in this uh, post-November 8th um, era that you don't want to talk about um, is going to be absolutely critical. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the neighbor of of the second largest emitter in the in the, in the world, and um, and still the most powerful country in the world, and and the one that uh, provides uh, over twenty percent of the funding uh, for all the all these negotiations to to occur. So um, I, I'm absolutely hopeful that that, that Canada will, will will step up and and will uh, do what it has to do. Mm. Well, you you mentioned uh, a couple of things there, uh, including uh, that have uh, an angle on China. Just for our, our listeners' uh, um, sort of perspective on this, the, the reason I'm interested in, in talking about China a little bit is is twofold. Uh, one of which is, of course, is that if the U.S. Uh, follows through, as as we have no reason to believe that they won't uh, now under Trump, who, who seems to be willing to follow through on all of his even his most extreme uh, propositions here, uh, removing them from the international agreement, or at least you know not going not following it, even if regardless of what happens to the, the actual pieces of paper. Um, and the two on that would be also uh, him pulling out of TPP. And while there, there's a lot to not like about TPP, at least from our point of view, uh, it, part of what it would have done uh, would have been to sort of limit the economic expansion of China. So, Dr. Seeley, I'm, I'm interested in knowing your perspective on, uh, are we looking at a world where we're going to be increasingly dealing with Perhaps in a positive way, perhaps not in a positive way, uh, but with China as the as one of the main actors in this arena, and less and less the Americans. Oh, Doctor Sealy, looks like we may have lost him. We may have lost him here. Where texts are just looking really quickly. We'll give it another second while they play. Okay, we're hopefully we'll get them back on the line there. Uh, in the meantime, Stefan, uh, what are your thoughts on that question I just asked as well? China. Yeah, Ch- yeah well, I, I, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Like, I think there's, I think that's definitely going to happen. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure there's going to be a question about whether or not, uh, whether, like, pulling out, like, perhaps one of the, one of the most interesting things, I, I spent a bit of time trying to figure out why people would support the TP. That I wrote a piece about it last year in which I went into, I dug into sort of all the different arguments for it. And perhaps the most, the most, 
the strongest argument uh, that I had for why people would support it, given that like it was interesting because a lot of the economists had a very had a very similar reaction of like, yeah, you know, it's like fine. You know, there, there was, the economists weren't saying like this was a, this was a massive change. They were very much sort of seeing it as a as a general you know expansion of free trade and a sort of a, a normal continuation of American policy to some extent. Mm. Um, but the interesting piece about it was what it really did, what it really was clearly intended to do, uh, was to reduce and, and remove. Uh, the the power that um, yeah that 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 China has in the region around it it, it, it was in, it, that was part of its goal. All right, uh, I I understand we may have Dr. Seely back. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, yes, we lost you there uh, briefly. Thanks for coming back. Uh, I'll, I'll reiterate my question. I don't know where we cut you off, so I'll, uh, or where you got cut off. So I'll, I'll re-ask the question uh, as well, which was uh, in, in a world where we're where we're very likely going to see the Americans pull out of their climate change agreements. Whether or not that happens uh, to the paper version, there very it seems very likely that we should believe Trump at this point that he's not going to follow through on their commitments. Uh, and with the failure for uh, the, with the additional uh, loss of TPP, which some of us are less aggrieved about than others. Um, this that this puts us that one of the the facets of TPP is that it would have put some uh, it would have slowed down the expansion uh, of China as a sort of economic and global actor. Uh, with both of those things taken away, I'm interested in in your thoughts on if we are going to increasingly be dealing whether in a positive or a negative way with China as one of the lead actors on this, and what does that mean for international uh, cooperation? I, I think that you are right that you're reading the TVs the way that, that we're reading them as, as well. I think there, there's still two scenarios that could potentially play out. One scenario is that the U.S. does remain engaged in the global negotiations. It does not leave the convention, nor does it leave the Paris Agreement, and it remains engaged. That, to me, is, of course, the, 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 the best alternative. We, we would like the U.S. to continue to show leadership. If that does not happen and, and the U.S. decides to pull out of, of the agreement, then I think it is inevitable that another leading country will, will, will step into the vacuum that would have been created. As you know, power abhors a, a vacuum. Whether, the, whether the, United, the, the European Union would be that block that, 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 that could um, provide that, that leadership that that would be in the absence of the U.S. And when I say leadership, I mean, I mean also providing the funds that allow for these negotiations uh, to continue and to, and to provide the funds to allow the research also to continue. Or it would be Japan, or, or sorry, or it would be uh, China. Um, and we have to look to see then what that, what that means. As, as I said to you, the U.S. and China are the two biggest players in the, in the world, China being the, the, the largest emitter in, uh, as of now, and, and the U.S. being, being second. Uh, so if the U.S. pulls back, yes, I see China playing um, a, a larger role. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, this, this, is... Is not only the, this is not only in the, the negotiations. This is, this is a larger role economically. As well, because we still need a paradigm shift in our energy sectors. We still need a green revolution, and we will still be calling for that. And I and I, and I hope that the momentum is 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 there, and the economics is now there because solar and wind are now becoming competitive, and the prices are dropping, etc. So if that if that revolution continues, well, then I would expect that, and the U.S. pulls back, well, then China will capture more and more of the global market. Hmm. 
and and I mean, regardless of of anything else, I think one thing is is clear is that we're we're in for a lot of. Um, there's going to be a lot of geopolitical shifts, uh, regardless of whether this is simply uh, economic or if uh, that there are, you know, per- perhaps, you know, one outset could simply be is that the international community, um, you know, r- there's a, a, sh- a power shift as far as like alliances, as far as offsetting uh, some of these bad actors, bad actors that used to be sort of considered you know, maybe not always super helpful, but at least on the same team. Um, so we're in for, if nothing else, I think it can, the only thing we can say with certainty is that we're in for some uh, big changes. Um, how can... Absolutely. Can I just mention one please, of the oh, major players that, 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 that we're concerned about, and that is, that is India. Uh, I, I think that India is going to play a pivotal role uh, as well. Um, how India provides energy to its is energy poor. And my understanding is that they have at least 200 million people who, who could you, you could define as not having access to modern energy services. How they provide those energy services is really going to be pivotal. Um, and if the U.S. pulls back, will, will India see a loss of short-term competitive advantage and go to coal? Or would India continue the long haul and, and try to, to, to decarbonize its economy? China is already making the steps to decarbonize its economy. So I'm not worried that China is going to do what it, what it says it's going to do. China will do it. And China will benefit from it from a public health standpoint because its cities are, put, are polluted. And it will also come up with the technologies that the world wants and it will capture the market. But what's the second most populous country in the world going to do? That, to me, is also key. Mm. So uh, I'm afraid that it, that is, uh, unfortunately, our time. Uh, Dr. Seeley, I want to thank you very, very much for, for joining us and just ask you one very final, very quick question, which is, you know, our, our listeners are not uh, international trade negotiators. They're probably very small percentage of them are involved in politics in any way. Is there anything at all that, that you can say to our, to our average listener here as a way that they can uh, uh, support you in your work or support the international work, um, uh, you know, aside from writing, you know, uh, encouraging letters to Trudeau? Is there something an average person can do to support you in small islands? I think states? the average person has to make climate change uh, an issue um, with, their, with their politicians at, at, at the provincial level and at the federal level. This, we, we have to mainstream this as, 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 a, as a major political issue. All right. Well, I absolutely agree. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, of course, there there was also an article I was sent uh, that was authored uh, by Dr. Seeley called "No Time to Waste as Islands Disappear." I will post that article as well with today's show post. Again, thank you very much for your time, Dr. Hugh Seeley. All right, so we're going to uh, post that, as I said, on the website. You can look for more information uh, about uh, Dr. Seeley's work and the article uh, that was written by him that was posted in the USA Today as well on the website at greenmajority.ca. We are now, however, going to go to our second and final music break. All right, we're coming back in here into the final home stretch with the Green Majority Radio Program, produced live right now on CIUT 89.5 FM, unless right now is on our recording and that it's not right now. Right, exactly, but right now for us. I, you know, I, I think I mentioned last week that I just finished watching all three of the Back to the Future movies because mm. they just got posted on Netflix, and I'm getting really confused with my temporal language. <laughs> uh, anyhow, I do like movies about time. I think that's fun. Um, speaking of which, Time Machine? Oh, no, that was uh, – uh, uh, who was it? Um, uh, Stephen Colbert, I think, was making a lot of jokes about uh, the day before the uh, inauguration about uh, – so keep your eye out tomorrow for this and that and time travelers. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, if you laugh, you don't. If you don't laugh, you cry, folks. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's why we like interrupting actual serious news with with, with jokes with here, with weird things. Exactly. Because otherwise, the entire show would be me was, crying and Stefan consoling me. Yeah, and and the, and the sobs just don't go over the airwaves nearly as well as you want them to. Yeah, and I'm I'm one of those really loud criers too. Uh, it's really embarrassing. Well, um, anyway, <laughs> as as uh, as uh, as uh, as uh, Barbara Rushina, the, uh, the 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 healthcare the, the self-care petitioner that we had on earlier the show which actually was was requested a different uh, listener of the show requested to have her back just because of, of how sad everyone is i would say though to darren is that all feelings are okay that's right so you can cry if you want to well no i actually i sent her a message because i someone also yesterday also asked me to have her back on and i <laughs> so I, I sent her a message and she was like anytime and i ah. said so how about like maybe like once a month for four years <laughs> uh maybe more often okay so um i have a few news stories and i don't have a ton to say about any particular one so i I'm going to try and just rapid fire through them because I actually want to talk a little bit about trade uh, a little bit uh, as a preview for an upcoming show. So I'm going to rapid fire through some stuff and then I'm, then I'm basically going to just like set up a future show that I've been talking about forever, but I've actually started for, for real planning now. Uh, so quickly uh, follow up. We've had more reporting coming out um, just sort of ongoing on the issue of uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, town halls um, going around specifically in Alberta where there's uh, been, I think, surprising no one, um, some very impactful. Uh, confrontations. Um, I what the thing that actually surprised me, of course, was not in any way that that some loud protesters came and tried to shout out during uh, during his uh, his conversation. That doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, what surprised me a little bit was actually uh, was actually in a good way, uh, which was. Uh, you know, just because my standards are low with this sort of thing right now, uh, and not just because there were people from Alberta, but specifically, you know, uh, oil sand supporters tend to come out to this sort of thing. Uh, was that one thing Trudeau's did was it was stuck up his hand and said, you know, who actually believes in climate change? And 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 I think somewhat to his surprise, but uh, at least to some people's, uh, the vast majority of the people put their hands up, mm. and so that meant that uh, at the very least, with that, I mean, there was only about two thousand people there, um, and they were very impassioned, and many of them were not in favor of Trudeau. Let's not, you know, let's not conflate those two things um at least at least to the people even in the thick of it aka the people who are concerned that their futures are at stake here on this conversation uh at least they even a majority of them apparently at least the people impassioned enough to come out to this uh to this event or these events um are at least in agreement that this is a real problem and um I'm sorry to say that that feels like progress um because at least we're all on the same page as far as the conversation being a real conversation um one of the thing, and of course, I I, I gave uh, Trudeau some flack last week, um, saying, you know, why would you do this? Uh, it seemed like a one-off comment. It seems like he is now sticking to this, and there was there was this really awkward initial, like, no, 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 I misspoke. Uh, okay, so then we don't have to get off fossil fuels. What mm-hmm. do you mean by misspoke? Misspoke. So apparently, there, you know, that was just their way to deflect um, the initial blow up. But he does appear to be sticking with that message that. Um, although I don't agree with the message, I will at least give him points for being consistent um, that, yes, this is, you know, he's now he this feels so sad to say this, but he has enough courage to now consistently say that, yeah, we have to plan for getting off oil. Um, he's simply deflecting the anger by saying this is some it's, is it some vastly future date. Um, but again, sadly, this is progress that 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 are political, not just that Trudeau would say, it, because, of course, Trudeau would say that, but that he, that he at least has enough of a backbone uh, to say it to people whose jobs are at risk now. Of course, my, I want to just quickly reiterate my criticism from last week, which is that if you're going to say that, and you should, um, you better come up with a plan about uh, either your either your 
playing patty cakes and you're pretty then this is so far off in the future that you're like yeah yeah i'm not going to do anything about it but but we i'm going to admit it's a real problem and then some future government will do something about it if that's what you're saying then then that's just scummy uh if that's not what you're saying and i'm going to choose to give him the benefit of the doubt then i strongly encourage you mr trudeau to actually come up with a plan about how to do that uh because let me get you know i hate to break it to you but simply putting a uh, cap on carbon emissions uh that allows for was it doubling or tripling a tripling of doubling to tripling of current thing that itself is not a plan to get off oil that's a plan to uh, uh prevent more than a doubling or tripling of our expansion of oil um that's not a plan to get off oil uh, i would strongly encourage you if you uh want to um be able to stave off these i mean these are these are small attacks coming from from voters uh at events uh if you want to weather an election you're going to have to come up with a plan to back those statements up because they're otherwise they're going to string you up with those comments hmm. uh and of course i'm talking about politically here not let's not right. let's not get out of hand but i mean but quite seriously they're going to they're going to take those comments and they're going to repeat them and 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 they're going to beat you over the head with them you're going to have to come up with a plan uh so one of the things we're going to talk about on a future show is uh stefan and i've been talking about casually for a while and and as soon as he's done with the current project that's uh, that's taking all of his time, mm-hmm. uh, we'll start actually rolling this out. But we're going to actually create a, a fictitious platform. The platform would be real. The party it's for will be fake. Uh, but a, a number of ideas of, of, of policies that we think actually does what Trudeau is now saying that he has to be done, uh, but doesn't appear to actually be creating any plans for. Uh, we're going to make a number of suggestions. We're going to we're going to uh, uh, talk about that on air. We're going to ask people to send us some of their ideas. And then at, and then at some point, after that show where we we sort of debate those ideas and we take a break off of news and we just talk about you know policy public policy that we would like to see uh we will be posting air at this uh real platform for the, our fake political party on the website and say please steal these ideas that's the that's the goal going forward uh so for now we'll leave that alone um notley of course uh welcoming uh trump's vial of keefstone xl uh, nobody's super surprised about that. I think I've already said all I want to say about that, other than the fact about how it relates to one other thing, which one other criticism I'd like to make of Trudeau as well, which is that, um, you know, he was very, uh, the, they're going to be meeting at some point, apparently in the next 30 days, uh, Trump and, uh, and Trudeau uh, to talk about the new NAFTA deal. Of course, Keystone XL and all these things will be discussed. And and I just want to, I just want to ask people how they feel about that. Um, I've recently been watching a, uh, a new show uh, that I like very much called Colony, which is about uh, aliens basically occupying Earth. Uh, and it's a it's a sort of a futuristic look about at essentially what it's like to live under a, a, a literal fascist dictatorship. And, you know, and and one of the things that happens in the show all the time, then you'll see where I'm going. I'm not just obsessed with TV this week. Um, <laughs> Is that the whole point of the show is that, you know, essentially there is no point to resistance. These aliens have, you know, technology so far beyond that. It's literally like people are just like, there's no, there's no path to resistance. And the entire show is about essentially is these, these, you know, these terrorists essentially from the point of view and the collaborators. And it's, I just kept getting chills running down my spine because of all these conversations about, Hey, well, you know, you can either get punished or you can benefit, but there's no opposition. Um, you know, and so it's, do you want to reward? And then I started reading some nose, uh, some news about, um, you know, Trudeau being really excited about basically brushing aside. I mean, sure, he made a couple of comments, but essentially his whole thing is, you know, has been to like, well, this could be work out really well for us. And I just felt sick. Mm. I just felt sick because it feels to me and, and you know, he'll, I, you know, he'll have an opportunity to prove me wrong. But I just feel like it's going to be like, we're going to keep our mouth shut on all this human rights abuses and all these, you know, this super uber racist fascist policies because we might get a little bit of money out of like playing nice with this guy. I just want to ask our listeners, how does that make you feel? Does that, don't you, even if you sort of agree with them on the pipeline issues, 
doesn't that just whole tone of like, here's our new best new buddy because we might make some money out of this? Doesn't it make you feel a little bit sick to your stomach? So, just a little? Yeah, I, I think I think Trudeau is in a fascinatingly difficult position because like if you want to think about how you deal like how you how you deal with a bully because in reality the america has so much power over canada uh that you know if trudeau came out and, de- and decided to and was decided to be the voice of the resistance trump almost out of hand could crush the canadian economy uh, and it and it wouldn't even have to it, you know it would affect america as well obviously but there's a level of, there's obviously a power dynamic that that trudeau is dealing with that has to be understood and i think what's 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 problematic i think is that the way you deal with a bully is you let them think they're winning while you do other stuff right like that's the that, that's the, that's the, usually the the strongest resistance to it to to this kind of this kind of thing is that like if you have someone you you have to deal with you could either like if you let them think that they're yeah yeah everything's fine but i'm actually going to oppose you or i'm gonna do all the other stuff because like you're not going to figure you know it's 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 how this works um but at the same time, because of how awful he's being, it puts Trudeau in a place where you're right. If he is almost by refusal to to or by 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 just by staying silent, it's a tacit complicity within the the rhetoric and everything else that's going on. And so I think Trudeau has to figure out where he stands. And I think yeah. there's there's actually one way he can do something right now, which which will simultaneously not necessarily, uh, which can prove his his that he stands up for what he believes in without necessarily reacting to negative Trump, which is that he can actually allow asylum seekers in the United States to move to can to, to switch asylum into Canada instead. Mm. Uh, and that's a, that's an old law that we had that where you have to technically come from directly from the place, uh, from the place you're scheming to, 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 um, to, to get status as a refugee. Um, but he can actually change that law. That's the thing Trudeau can do right now, which is to change the law to allow people who are currently seeking asylum in the States who are going to be rejected under, uh, under Trump, instead of forcing them to go back to where, to, to where they are fleeing from, that Canada can accept them. And I think if you were going to take a stance where, what, where you, if you want to still be able to say you live, you stand up for, for the, the, the correct values and you stand up for, you know, the values that, that, that we all would like to think of as Canadian values of acceptance and inclusivity, uh, that's a way of doing it without just sort of, you know, calling Trump's a small handed, you know, orange buffoon, which will only sort of set off a much different reaction. Right. And sure. And, sure, and of course, and, and, and I know you're saying that not thinking that that's what I'm proposing, but just no, that no, there's no. that, that, of course, that is also obviously a middle. Thing. There's obviously a way yeah. he obviously like, he, like, he obviously come out in, in many other ways and, and, and oppose the way the, the way he's saying things. I'm just saying that there's he's it's if it's a very dangerous position for trudeau to be in in many different ways right and i think it's it's i don't fully i don't know exactly what he should be doing but this is one thing he can do right now that can make that can at least help right and and and, i mean who's to say who's to say what you know back channel conversations have already happened what i would like to see and, and maybe i'm being naive uh fair enough but what i would like to see is i mean when we you know, when uh, when a number of, you know, deals have happened, so say, you know, a deal with China, people will go, well, this is really good for Canadian economy, but then people go, oh, well, China is such a human rights abuser and blah, 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 you know, we shouldn't be blah, 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 blah. I have two points about that. One, A, if things continue the way they are, there's a point at which the, U- uh, the U.S. becomes a worse global actor than the Chinese do. Uh, many of our pipelines, you know, the pipelines that they're building to go to, to water as opposed to Keystone XL, which goes through the U.S., is to go to Asian markets. Uh, there is a opportunity there. And, and of course, this is extremely complicated. We're talking about extremely deep and well-connected ties. This would happen over a long period of time. 
Uh, but where our main economic partner shifts to Asia as opposed to the U.S. If things get bad, I'm just saying it's on the table. Nobody panic. Uh, I'm not a sleeper cell for the Chinese government. I'm just saying we have to deal with reality as it unfolds. That's one thing. And, and I hope they're at least keeping, uh, you know, at least at a planning, secretive planning point of view, uh, their options open because we don't know how bad it's going to get. And we don't want to make sure that we get we you know as much as we want to protect ourselves. It's not protecting ourselves if we uh, you know super glue ourselves to a sinking ship. Um, the other thing as well is that what I would like to see is I would like to see at least a minor like just the tiniest amount of backbone. Just a wee little bit of backbone where it goes, hey, you know, I've spoken to American counterparts, and, and here, this is not my opinion. I'm saying this is what I could see Trudeau saying that I think is realistic, which is, you know, we've spoken to American counterparts. Uh, we think that Keystone XL is going to be really good for our economy. We're, we're looking forward to creating a great relationship with this. I, I have spoken to uh, my contacts in the uh, U.S. government uh, and expressed to them our concern about some of their human rights decisions and about their treatment of what – just say that, hey, I just want to be on record saying we do not agree with this part of this policy. That's I think, is an Incredibly low bar, and Trudeau has yet to meet that bar. That's all I'm saying. Uh, so I think we have about three minutes left. Uh, I want to just really quickly mention something. We're good. We're good. Uh, no, okay. So we have there, there's another article there um, as well that we could get into that's about fracking. What I will just let people know instead then of getting into that with our last minutes, of course, that we're going to be talking about this article in the bonus show, which you can only find on the podcast at greenmajority.ca or through our own uh, podcast that's going uh, through iTunes uh, called Dear Media, The Trump White House Has Total Contempt for You, Time to React Accordingly, that was posted by the Washington Post. I uh, will also take the last minute to let people know that every week or remind them, because I do usually say this, but I want to emphasize this week, of course, as well, uh, that we do do quite a bit of news surfing and we get a lot more news articles than we actually end up talking about on the show. Uh, and I, I don't post all of them, but if there's something that I really think is worth a read and, uh, and we don't get to it on the show, I always post that as well. So I want to call people's attention to a couple of articles. I really encourage them to take some time to read. One of them is Naomi Klein uh, wrote, I think, I think this is for Vox, uh, but it's called Ready for the First Shocks of Trump's Disaster Capitalism. Uh, that is an excellent read. I think you should uh, make time to read that article uh, as well. There's also uh, a bunch of reports uh, by The Guardian, which I think is is worth uh, a look. Uh, outgoing EPA chief fears Trump administration will halt climate action. Uh, those are worth a read as well. Um, and uh, a number of other ones having to do with uh, both Trumpian and non-Trumpian stories. So just uh, uh, definitely, I would say, if, there, if there's my one definitely read, aside from the stuff we're going to talk about on the show, that would definitely be that uh, disaster capitalism piece by Naomi Klein. But see the website uh, for more as well. That is, as we just said, though, all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you for listening to The Green Majority. Uh, Sabina is here. She only jumped in once really quickly, but she'll join us for the bonus show as well. Uh, Stefan will stick around as well. So listen to the podcast for the extended version and some more commentary on the News. Other than that, have a good green week, folks. Thanks for listening and take care. Thanks for listening to the program. We have an excellent, really exceptional bonus show for you today. We talk uh, about uh, how to cover Trump and a little bit more about the uh, false news and uh, specifically around the Women's March, including a rare clip from another show, which is a, a portion of a show I took from the Young Turks uh, as well, uh, to get a little bit more of an American perspective on that uh, aspect as well. Uh, please consider signing up and being a member so we can continue to do this and continue to improve our show as we are planning on doing going forward. Uh, you can simply make it happen faster by signing up and being a member. Go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority and sign up today.
We are now in the bonus show. Uh, we're going to have a small roundtable discussion. Spina's uh, probably going to get more of a chance to talk. We may also hear from Steven, our, t- our head tech of our tech team. Sounds really impressive, yeah, yeah. Uh, on this. But the general theme uh, I'm going to refer people to to look f- uh, for is the article, as I said earlier, is Dear Media, the Trump White House has total contempt for you. Time to react accordingly. This was a, an opinion piece, but it was published by the Washington Post. And it is uh, one of my three uh, definitely make time to read articles. It goes through a number of really important things but specifically here just to sort of summarize it to start off the discussion i may come back uh, uh, with some points from it uh, but that essentially the idea here is to uh, get the white house to spin uh, is the white house is going to spin and try and pressure media into reporting stories their preferred way by a carrot and stick one of them is to basically go out and make a number of grandiose claims that that are so obviously false that uh, and this is a this is a specific tactic, uh, and there have been many really shocking and creepy comparisons done to uh, actually the lead up between Hitler's election and uh, and the actual rollout of the Nazi war machine uh, of a number of things that happened within that country. And and many there are many similarities. I think very fair to make very many similarities. It doesn't mean they're heading to the same place. It doesn't mean that the U.S. is the next Nazi Germany, uh, but it does mean that there are a lot of uh, a lot of similarities between what's going on right now and what happened uh, then. And one of them is that essentially you just dilute the word truth. Uh, and what that means is that everybody in this whole thing with Kellyanne Conway's alternative facts, uh, many people laughed at, laughed at that. But the, the point is that you, part of the tactic is that you say so constantly say such extreme and ridiculous and such obviously untrue things that it creates a universal response back to it from the media. And then what you do is you interspace those comments with you're all basically fake news. This is you're all part of the people who are against me. This is look at this giant conspiracy. It's basically getting into to Alex Jones black helicopter territory, Stefan, <laughs> uh, which is literally just you just you make a bunch of proclamations. You make it so that there's a dividing line. You're either with me in my facts or you're with Hillary Clinton and and those people who are trying to do it. And you polarize everybody. And then what you do is your average voter who voted for Trump, who largely either didn't believe him in the first place or never cared about truth they just liked his style immediately absorb his thing and now you have an entire significant portion of the u.s population who just rejects who, who are now actively rejecting information uh from any source uh because they don't really understand what trump's talking about but he's convinced them that every media source that is not coming directly that is not simply repeating his words and not questioning them is out saying that thing for an agenda and you're just closing people off to the truth um so i may come back to this article briefly for some specific points but i want to just open it up to there for a comment and hopefully suggestions how do we combat this uh stefan let me start with you yeah i I think a couple of quick examples of ways he's already doing this which is interesting um is that he i think part of the plan also is to pick really stupid things to fight like he like for example he still is trying to convince people that his crowd was bigger than the pictures look like like he called the national park service to order them to give them a photo that look, made the crowd look bigger like this is the level and, and he won't stop and people are saying that like it's a, it, that this is a part of the, sort of a way of, of distracting people no this is the thing he cares about like he ended his fir- one of his first interviews with uh, in the white house by walking to the picture of the 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 inauguration to point out the ways in which his crowd was bigger than the other pictures showed like this is a thing that he like 
is it's 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 a thing about because it's so stupid and so sm- and everyone understands it's so small potatoes that it allows him to get people on like if people who were at that march would be like yeah it was a big march I, I was there. there there were definitely more people than that that is for sure and then so when he fights these other things later those are the things that it's it's all tied into the same argument and so I think people are way more willing to give you the benefit of the doubt on something ridiculous uh, because, like, why not? Like, why would you fight? Why would you care this much if you didn't – If like, mostly, is the, you, why would you care this much if you weren't going to do it, right? I think the yeah. word you're looking for is bigly. Bigly, yes. Yeah. It was a very you – know, the, the <laughs> bigly crowd. Um, Use that in a sentence. I'm not sure how. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, the three million uh, voter fraud saying he won the popular vote. He's got he, – he's doing two very intentional things to claim, A, his support is bigger than it is. Uh, try to give himself more of a mandate, but then also B, it serves as the purpose of being the beginning of the dividing line of of of, of who reports facts and who doesn't. Which is, if you don't parrot what I say, you're lying, and that's it. And that's the only that's the that, that's he's and he's doing it already with a couple of very specific things, and like those particular things are important to note. Well, and and before we go to uh, Spina for her comments, I, I want to point out one thing because you might have listened to that and might go, "Hey, it sounded like uh, Stefan and Darren made opposite." points because look you know i was implying that there was some sort of nefarious scheme at work here uh and stefan is is pointing out that this is that it's a lot of this what he says is guided by uh you know his personal uh uh instability uh, insecurities and and say well those two things would seem to be in conflict but i i I just wanted to insert in that before we moved on that what really needs to be done here is the people in the back we there is another dick cheney uh to george bush and that's steve bannon and Steve Bannon is a political actor who has spent the last 25 years uh, engaging in active political deception. Uh, he is the Dick Cheney uh, to George Bush uh, as he is to Donald Trump. And those two things are not in conflict. We can both have a narcissistic, insecure buffoon uh, who is out there making comments and a nefarious, uh, calculated effort to disinform the public. Uh, and that is Steve Bannon. And, and, and so those two things are not in conflict. I just wanted to make that absolutely mm-hmm. clear. Sabina. It's actually really funny what this reminds me of. I mean, it's not really that funny, but what... <laughs> it's what, like cry-cry <laughs> funny and ha-ha funny. Yeah, but hmm. it's... Um, I took a course called Evil and Its Symbols, and we studied like cult theory in this course. First of all, don't ask me why I took this course. It sounds but, amazing. I want to be <laughs> It that was course. actually <laughs> really great. Um, but every cult leader... like possesses the traits that Donald Trump has and they do the same kind of behavior that Donald Trump does in order to it's kind of the us against them mentality and when when people that want to leave a cult start leaving there's that's when the doomsday like the world is ending like stay with me or else like the like the world's going to come down and you're going to lose jobs or blah, blah blah so it's what what Donald Trump is to me is just kind of like a cult leader in in, in a mass scale, and, oh, yeah. and he's doing that like he's starting to he and and they're usually very narcissistic and only care about really random things, and they want to be the one that people look up to, and I think that's why he's really cares about this popular vote, or there was more people at my inauguration, so that his already supporters think that no, it's the media that's out against us and there was actually so much and Donald Trump is the best and he's trying to make America great again. Well, it, it's classic It's classic controlling behavior, right? Exactly. If you want to control people, make them think you're the only person who knows the truth. You know, it's, and, and you can do it, it's, it, you can see it in as, as small scale as individual relationships and as wide scale as, you know, the entire world, which is that if you want to control anyone, if you convince them that what they are seeing is wrong and that you're the only 
only one who can tell them the right thing, then you have complete control. You 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 determine their reality, uh, and I think it's. It's 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 depressing, but incredibly effective. Yeah. Um, and so I guess if we go back to then the the real part of the question is what can journalists do um, to to resist? I think this is um, I think this is a, a very interesting different question, right? Because I think because uh, journalists have this difficult task now of finding a way to have a conversation. And to keep reality, like journalists basically have to find a way, journalists and scientists have to find a way to maintain reality while constantly being in a world where it's being attacked. And and I think we have a lot of – I understand why people consistently go back to trying to look at the rise of Nazism. But I think there's also a bunch of things that are very separate from that, which is the fact that the internet is an incredibly powerful tool to communicate with each other and to build our own reality. You know, The, the internet provides a, a, a connection tool where the whole nation can, can still live with a reality that is actually true even under attack from, from government forces because government doesn't have – control of the internet remains free uh, and so I think something's gonna for, now. for now exactly no yeah. for now exactly um, because I think that's the that's the question right like I think yeah. you, you, you want to start seeing when when the, the when I start getting really scared uh, is 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 when you start seeing crackdowns on that kind of thing yeah, exactly I mean like this whole idea of controlling the meat like what the media can report on and what it can say I agree entirely the narcissism behind this is frightening what it, my, my initial question about this, I don't mean to throw out a counterpoint, but I mean, like, this whole notion of this concept of reality and truth. I mean, like, I mean, for the most part, progressive ideals are based on the, on, the, on the critique of the idea of reality and truth, right? What was accepted truth can be critiqued to become progressive in a new direction, mm -hmm. right? Now, the, the question here is Trump is reasserting this concept of truth as if there is some static notion of truth, which I think is the, almost the more scary notion because it takes out the idea of dialectic where we can create reality as a, like, as a democratic process, right? Whereas, as you said, people on the internet can form together and construct our own opinions about what he's saying and what's actually happening as opposed to it being dictated to us and then it becoming a reactionary thing i think that in a lot of ways is what's is what's fueling like the the negative like the negative how would you say this it's what's preventing us from attacking him properly mm. i think like like not th not that i say that i can't say that the people have done anything wrong but i mean to a certain degree i don't see what actively destroying a city is going to do when we should be trying to figure out how to regroup and come up with how to join together as opposed to destroy public property, which is only going to fuel the menace, right? Yeah, the, yeah and the, 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 that's the, the this, this question of how where to go from now when you don't hold any power is yeah. so huge, right? And I think there's because there's very fair critiques on 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 both sides to some extent, right? Like the critique of 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 of, of something like the women of the women's march uh, was was that it didn't do anything, right? Um, and then you know, and and, and the, so like, I think there ends up being this, and I guess what you see. The most effective protests are are the ones that actually come outside of of this sort of planned will be in the streets at some point in time. Mm -hmm. It's the things like when Black Lives Matter takes over camps out in front of uh, front of the the, the, the police uh, or it's a police headquarters here in Toronto or it's the no DAPL lines. I think it's this. I think there's a sustained piece of it. Right. Like if I know that if I wait five hours, this street will be empty either way. You are doing a very different thing than if you will be standing in front of my door every day right. until something changes. Well, and actually, this is a, an excellent 
excellent uh, lead up because I the clip I had queued that we didn't have time for on the main show it directly addresses this. So we'll uh, if we can we'll listen to this. It's about a minute and a half. Uh, I just want to listen to it. This is a clip from the Young Turks reporting, and then Steve, we'll come back to we'll come back to you. Maybe this will adjust your comments. I don't know. Uh, so apologies to my co-host. I didn't I can't cue this properly because I can't listen to it while we're on air. But I will clip it for the bonus show podcast uh, folks who will have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, so just a, there's a little ro- rocky start here because I can't find the exact starting spot. But it's about a minute and a half, and we'll come right back their constitutional rights, by the way, uh, he decided to post another meme, and it was about Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus, but she didn't trash the bus. Big difference. Okay, so these protests were insanely peaceful, and I got to be honest, I, I went to the Women's March in Los Angeles, and being in public with large crowds of people makes me super uncomfortable right now, just because the country's in a really bad place. I was shocked at how incredibly well organized and peaceful it was. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really, it was a really great feeling to be there with people who have strong political opinions, who believe in community, who believe in helping one another out, who want to protect their rights. And what the media does, and what the opponents to these protesters do is claim that they're all violent, they try to minimize them, belittle them, make it seem as though they're all these crazy criminals. That is not the case at all. 2.9 million people marched this past weekend. And to say that they're like violent and they're destroying property is insane. Two quick points on that. One, there's just no evidence of it. I know it's an alternative fact, but (laughs) nobody wrote about anything being in any way hurt during the Women's March. During inauguration, there was some, they said they were anarchists, I don't know. Uh, but there was definitely some windows broken, et cetera. But that was not the Women's March. That was the day before, mm-hmm. okay? And he's specifically referring to the Women's March, uh, where there was no reports of any violence whatsoever. Secondly, do you think they would have been in favor of Rosa Parks? <laughs> Guys like that, back in the day, they would be like, hey, we don't need any northern agitators here coming in here. We've got tradition and heritage here, and everybody knows their role. They're coming in here and stirring things up. No, they would have hated Rosa Parks. They did. The conservatives hated Rosa Parks back then. Now they're pretending to be in favor of people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. Please. All right, so that was uh, that was a little clip from the Young Turks. That was uh, host and and founder uh, Jen Uker with uh, one of the oldest co-hosts, uh, Anna Kasparian, as well. And uh, I'm just also celebrating that we have permission to do this now because uh, <laughs> I've I've emailed them before and they never got back to me. And now we got it. All right, so we're good. So we'll occasionally use our clips because sometimes they nail a lot, and sometimes because we're talking about American politics, and and that's just their specialty, uh, not ours. So we will be doing this occasionally uh, in the future. But uh, I'll just take it right there. Uh, throw it back to Stephen uh, for comments on that. We'll go around on on specifically on the women's march here as a form of resistance well see that's actually interesting now that i hear this i thought i did a pretty good job of cross-checking sources so that speaks to the exact like theme of today right the fact that even i was under the impression that these somehow got violent yeah there was 200 arrests on inauguration day zero uh, arrests on women's march okay maybe it was the inauguration day that was getting conflated with women's march yeah. then. and so- then, well that's because all of the gop all of the people in trump administration were con- intentionally conflating one with the other and and many journalists simply repeated that Right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. In terms of like what did it actually do? I think it did more as a symbolic a sense of like it created a sense of unity beyond like the anonymity of the internet, right? Like the internet's all good, but we're just avatars on the internet. Mm-hmm. In, in this case, there was physical people that grouped together. And even though I'm still not 100% sure on what mass assembly can really do, particularly when you're messing up public roadways things like this, like not messing up, but I mean like still physically blocking them. Um, or congregating in physical spaces. I don't know really. I I can't speak to that. But in terms of like it being a symbolic um, 
like show of solidarity, I think that to a certain degree holds more power than media to a certain degree, like when it's actually physical people around each other, right? So I think the, the internet to a certain degree, because the internet's so easily manipulated, right? So how do I know that someone's posting on Facebook? It could be their little brother posting under their... You know, yeah, whatever. And, and a recent study of internet trolls showed that the vast majority of them are uh, between, uh, I think, 12 and 14 years old. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so I, I just think I, I'm not going to get too deep into the to the women's marching because I think there's a ton of very valuable, interesting conversation already happening online. There's a couple different things about what it was. There's a, there's a, a pretty strong critique of it from from a, from, a, from a Native American woman who was who's at the march and experienced some pretty severe racism to be honest um and then there was also some really interesting things about uh something about a woman of color but why she decided to march in in the power of actually uh, of of joining together and i think there's uh so i think there's a a lot of people dramatically more suited to have this conversation than i to to comment on it um but i think there's i i think it's i to speak to the importance of 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 assembly i i think what's interesting about this is that like we presume that uh that Every we, we, and we, we all none of us are. I think all of us are younger than forty in this room. So uh, I think I safely say that. Like we can we can presume that over over time the the the, the reason why we don't see protests as overvaluable because things always end up there. They they die off and then things change in other ways. But when push comes to shove, in the end, the only thing reaction you get. The only way to actually put to, to fight back is 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 to take to the streets, and I think there's a and I think there's a that's 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 like that's obviously the last result of a failed democracy, quite yeah. obviously, um, and and I think that's that's a very scary place to decide you're going to be. But I think these protests now are sort of reminders to each to ourselves that we do have that power if we need it. Right. You know, it's like it's it's you know it's our own it's 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 the populace's nuclear option to some extent right it's right. the decision to be like okay we are going to forcibly remove your your legitimacy as a government mm-hmm. and and while i don't and while i think there's there's definitely many 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 steps you can take before that i think that's what these marches serve serve to say is yes you are in power now but remember you still work for us um and i think we haven't lived through a part where that where protests have been massively effective like you know you can point to the arab spring as a place where where they were effective and you can point to other parts of the world where they have been effective in different ways uh but like in western society they've done a pretty good job of getting to a point where people feel at least satisfied enough or placated enough by our democracy that we are not going to react in that way right um which is a different thing yeah. Uh, Sabina, go ahead and, and make a comment, then I'll, I'll wrap us up. Yeah. So I, I was actually at the Women's March here in Toronto. And from what oh, I, I saw. You. I was there too. Uh, <laughs> good. Um, from what I personally saw, I thought it was extremely peaceful. And also, I think another thing that we're not talking about is the fact that people need to see that others believe the things that they also believe in. And I think what I saw there was young, old, like middle-aged children i think it was really a great sense of community to see that okay whatever is happening online and all these trolls and all of these alternative facts all of these people here believe in some things that i believe in and they're willing to stand up for those things that they believe in so i think that's something that we can take away whether it be specifically for women's rights or other rights that were being represented at the day like it wasn't only from what i saw only women's rights like a lot of people came out just for rights in general. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think uh, Americans are aware that there was actually like global resistance yeah. to Trump? Like, do you think yeah, this? Yeah, like, oh, I don't know. Like, every, the every media blackout yeah. occurred that large yet? I mean, like, uh, no. Every every uh, every article I saw the next day, whether it was from the Washington Post, New York Times, uh, okay. USA Today, any of them, all of them, to varying degrees, but all of them mentioned that there were solidarity marches not only across the U.S. but right. across the world. Okay. Uh, I didn't find a single one that mentioned Toronto. Yeah. So I was specifically uh, scanning true. for that, but yeah. they all mentioned uh, they all mentioned international to some degree. Okay. Now, for those people who are simply have already accepted the line that the uh, mainstream media is a bunch of liars who are simply, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like those folks, yeah, there's no helping those folks because they've, they've already, you know, they're already in the bubble and they've locked the door behind them. Uh, but everybody else who's been reading the, knee, uh, the news is aware. Um, uh, I, I didn't see any article talk about it without at least making a casual reference to that. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to, I will echo Stefan's sentiment that I am not proclaiming to be any expert, but uh, I've gone on record before as being a occasionally a, uh, critical or, or critiquing uh, marches or other live uh, uh, actions. Uh, I, I will say, and, and to some degree I'm echoing uh, what Sabina just said, but the, I think there's two areas uh, where uh, they absolutely are useful. And if they're used for this purpose with the knowledge of the participants that this is the purpose, I think they can be incredibly effective. Yeah. Uh, here's my exhaustive list of two things um, <laughs> from my point of view. One of them is that uh, in the same way that uh, battles throughout history have uh, began famously with uh, grandiose speeches by their generals uh, as a way to rile up the troops and get their heart in the game, uh, the number one comment I heard, and of course, Sabina, you're absolutely correct that there were some folks who uh, had some negative experiences and, and those those should not be brushed under the rug either, uh, that many folks uh, that I heard interviewed at the march and coming from it said, you know, I thought I was alone or I was afraid I was alone. Now I don't feel alone. And as far as a way of giving uh, strength to the spines of those who are then going to go home and then take up action and not be confused that the march itself was the action, that can be incredibly powerful. The other uh, uh, th area where this can be incredibly effective is uh, Trump doesn't give a rat's ass. We can, yes, by the way, for our new folks, we can swear on the bonus show. Uh, for those cool. who don't give a rat's ass about uh, – uh, or, or Trump has already shown he doesn't care at all uh, about uh, his opponents. He's simply brushing them aside. Uh, however, uh, if you've been reading a lot of the news about this, uh, all of the people uh, in the House and the Senate and all of the, other, all of the other conservatives are really nervous about how this is going to play out for their careers and not just because they're afraid that – that uh, Trump is going to randomly fire them because he didn't like what tie he was wearing that day. Um, they are very concerned that they're going to get served really hard in two years during the next round of, of uh Congress, uh, congressional uh, elections. So as far as uh, showing those conservatives that there is a very mobile and organized opposition to them who's going to not who's going to be watching and who's going to have their number uh, the next time the opportunity comes to vote uh, and showing them that they should be scared. I think that is also incredibly effective. Um, so as long as as long as you're targeting it at their people who are actually going to uh, be receptive to it. Uh, this week, I gave flack to somebody who was sending around a, a petition uh, that was going to be addressed to Trump about uh, uh, saying, you know, tell him, tell Trump, we say no to DAPL. Uh, Sorry, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care. It's a waste of your time. If you're going to go fill out the petition to, to Trudeau, though, uh, Trudeau is subject to public pressure. If you want to fill it out to your local Republican congressman, they're going to be subject to public pressure. Um, so you have to be tactful uh, and intentional uh, and not think that just showing up is doing something. But if you see as showing up as the prelude to doing something, as a way to rally the troops and come up with solutions and go home knowing that there's 2.9 million people that got your back, minimum, at least the people, and those are just the folks who had time, made the time, and could have made the time to show up, uh, then I think that's where that power comes from. Uh, so I see some nodding heads. Any closing comments? Do we feel good about that? 
I think I got uh, a bunch of thumbs. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Stay tuned for more uh, good bonus shows here on The Green Majority and uh, enjoy your week.